chapter 16. And this is officially uh, the Apostle Paul closing out the book of Romans. And, um, and he is going to name names in this passage. <laughs> and uh, it's been, this has been such a good, rich, uh, rewarding study for me and Romans uh, teaching it. Um, I think we started last August, and now we're coming to a close here um, in October. Um, and it's been, a, it's been such a rich study. This is the greatest letter ever written. And I'm thankful for Paul writing it, for God inspiring. So, read with me Romans 16, 1 through 16, as we begin to close out this great letter. The Apostle Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are all well known to the apostles and were in Christ before me. Greet Amplianus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and the beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansyncritus, Felagan, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet not one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. <laughs> Lydia said something to me as I was telling her what I was going to preach on, and she, she mentioned that, I think it was Vodi Bakum talked about how the Apostle Paul has no problem naming names in his letter. He, he, he lets you know who's in and who's out when he preaches, right? I, I don't get a kick out of it, but I mean, he is, he's very pointed um, in, in 1 Timothy 1.18 uh, through 20. He says, uh, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul makes no... He's going straight... He's a straight shooter. You've got to give it to him. He's a straight shooter. He talks about Alexander the coppersmith, who's done great harm 
to the faith. Those are names right there that are that they failed to persevere in Christ. Um, they did not make a good name for themselves, and their names are sort of immortalized in the Bible. I've been read for two thousand years as as what not to do. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but in this passage, this is not just a greeting of people who are in the Church of Rome. These are names of people who have been faithful. And they were faithful in their service to the Lord. They are not, um, well, they were steadfast in persecution. They are workers in the Lord. And they are part of the cloud of witnesses that we will meet one day. We will meet Asyncritus. Lord willing, and Hermas, and Philologus, we'll meet them. And they were approved workers in the Lord. Um, now, here's the thing. Usually, when you think of ministry, you think of professional ministers. And I hope that that can be deconstructed in your Christian life. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you don't think of professional ministers, but... Many people do. Many people think of ministry as a professional Christian thing. And it's done by vocational pastors. It's done by professional theologians and trained missionaries. Uh, but in this passage, these are non-professionals. Non-professional Christians. They're men and women, married couples and singles, who earned a good name for themselves because of their work in Christ. In Proverbs 22.1, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And these men and women have made a good name for themselves according to Christ. And people have been reading their names for thousands of years now as an example of, of those who did not serve Christ from out of fame, but served Christ in relative quietness, but did so, some risked their necks for the life, um, for the uh, ministry of Christ. Biographies were not written about them, but they did serve the Lord. So what I'd like to do is just go through the names and see what we can learn about them. First up, Phoebe. Apostle Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centrea. Um, Paul says that the church should welcome them, welcome her rather, in the name of the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints, and to help her in whatever she may need from you, because she's been a patron. Now, Phoebe, why is Paul commending Phoebe? It's because Phoebe is the one who delivered the letter of Romans to the church in Rome. And Paul says, when she comes with this scroll in her hand, welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. She needs a place to stay. She'll need provisions. She'll, she'll need something. Um, she might need funds or provisions to make the journey back. So welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. Now, I'm going to give you a taste of the journey um, from Centrea to Rome. Now, Centrea was about 5 to 15 miles south 
east of Corinth. And she had to come from Centrea, get Paul, where he's writing the letter, maybe in Corinth, and take that letter up to Rome. Now, I map-quested the trip from Corinth to Rome, and I took the fastest route. And the fastest route says, this route has tolls. Number two, this route includes a ferry. Number three, this route crosses a border. Number four, your destination is in a different time zone. So Phoebe made a journey across countries by horse, by boat, 760 miles with a scroll in her hand to deliver to the church in Rome. And it probably took her weeks, if not months, to do that. Two observations I want to make about this. Number one, doctrine is important for the church. Let it be known. Paul believed it was worth it to put a scroll of highly dense, highly complex theological truths and put it in the hand of this woman to take across countries, across the sea, through dangers and perils, to deliver this to people who are already Christians and needed theological instruction. Because that renewing of the mind gives life. Please embrace that. That doctrine is important, very important for the church. Number two, you cannot accuse, you cannot accuse Christianity of being uh, some kind of patriarchal, misogynistic religion. You just can't do it. It does not accord with history. Uh, faithful service to the Lord was carried out by women throughout the Bible. Um, and even in Jesus's group, there are women who um, who were part of the ministry. Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus went out to the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, those of the apostles. And some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom he had um, exercised seven demons, and Joanna, uh, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of the, from out of their means. So it seems to me that Jesus had a contingency of women who supported Jesus' ministry financially and probably through other means. And it was women who were the first to find the empty tomb. So you cannot accuse Christianity of being misogynistic. The only thing in this church that is reserved for a man is eldership. Why do we say that? It's because Paul wants the structure of God's creation to hold not just in the home, but the church as well. And he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Why? Because Adam was first formed. And then Eve. He wants the structure to be held. 
And the heart of that, as I've said before, is not women sit down, it's men stand up and take the lead. And for too long in the church, it has been, the church has been progressed on the backs of women while the men stay home, getting drunk, not caring about spiritual things, and being lethargic and passive about eternal realities. So, anyhow, you can't accuse Christianity of being patriarchal. Women do serve in the ministry. The only thing men are required to do, um, not the only thing, but the only thing is, that is reserved for a man is pastoral ministry to lead in the church. And even if you're not in pastoral ministry as a man, your job is to take the lead, not by just making whimsical decisions, but by setting a good spiritual structure in your life and the home and working in the church for the advance of the gospel and leading through service and humble um, submission to the Lord. So that's what we learned from Phoebe. Next, Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila. Paul says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Prisca is another, um, another uh, kind of a, a slang for Priscilla. You see that back and forth. Sometimes Paul calls her Prisca, sometimes Aquila. But Paul says, uh, who they risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Uh, we met them in Acts 18, or we meet them in Acts 18. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, like the Apostle Paul. And they joined Paul in the ministry. We learned that they were risk takers. Because not only did they risk their necks for the Apostle Paul's life, they also joined him on voyages across countries to establish the work of the gospel this husband and wife couple. In Acts 18.26, they gave doctrinal instruction to one Apollos. Um, let me read that passage in Acts 18, uh, verse 26. You see that this is not, they're not just out there risking their necks, although that's a good thing, but they are theologically and doctrinally astute and committed. 1824, Book of Acts. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he only knew about the baptism of John. He only knew about the baptism of repentance and not a baptism of faith in Christ, which demonstrates one's union in Christ. Once you are baptized and go into the water, you die just like Christ died. And you are raised to walk in the newness of life. It is a picture of your union with Christ because through faith you are united to him. Um, verse 26, 
And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I always love that passage because here's this husband and wife. There's a great preacher up there, strong, but they took him aside and gave him doctrinal instruction. That's a great and good thing. And many people believe that, the, that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. That's, that's possible. So, so far we know that they um, are risk takers. They just dropped everything and went with the Apostle Paul. We know that they are doctrinally committed. And we also know that they are hospitable. In verse 5, it says, Greet also the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila, by the time Paul is writing the book of Romans, has a church in their house. So they are risk takers for the, for the gospel. They are doctrinally committed to the truth of God in, in the gospel. And they are hospitable. They use their house to plant a church in. And I praise God for people like Priscilla and Aquila. I want, to, want you to note that this is a husband and wife team in the ministry. They are mentioned six times in the New Testament, and each time they're mentioned together. I, I think that's really instructive and good, because usually when we talk about heroes of the faith, it's always about that man or that woman who did something great. It's always about someone going off and, and doing it by themselves. But here we have, and that can be done, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't want to take away anything from that. But just because you're not going off by yourself into the sunset doesn't mean that you can't be faithful. Priscilla and Aquila are always mentioned together. And they are a married couple who together did the work of the ministry. So, if you are married, that doesn't mean that you cannot serve the Lord fully. You can come together as a, as a married couple and serve the Lord. You can use your house, like Priscilla and Aquila did, for Bible studies and, and churches to plant, and being hospitable and encouraging new Christians and old Christians and middle Christians. You can use your resources to build up the saints and to minister to those in need, thus making a good name for Christ. Christ, You can take risks together for Christ. You can adopt a baby that may have been on his way to perdition if you would not have adopted him or her because you would raise that baby in the fear and instruction of the Lord. You can use your past experience in marriage and life to tutor others who are new in marriage. That's what we learned from Priscilla and Aquila. Ministry can also be a husband done as a husband and wife. And I'm thankful for Nydia because truly she does, she is a backbone for me and she helps me in everything I do and enables me to do everything I do. So I, I thank God for her. We also see um, in verse 5, Epinetus. He was the first convert in Asia. 
first convert literally means first fruits. That means that Paul sees evangelism as reaping a harvest. There's a the harvest, the field is white for harvest, ripe for harvest, and that's what missions is. That's what evangelism is. It's harvesting those who are ready. And that is how, by God's grace, if this church grows, that's how we should want it to grow. Not just by transference from one church to this church, but by harvesting fruits, people who are going to life without God forever and ever, and because of the gospel are now saved and committed and obedient. Paul says his aim is to bring about the obedience of faith. Praise God if there was somebody that we talked to, brought to church, got saved, were committed to the faith, and died a Christian. That's the kind of person I would like to build the church with, too. How are we going to do that? Two ways. You can have unbelievers come into the church, or you can have the church go to unbelievers. If you notice, we don't have many unbelievers coming into our church every week. So the church has got to go to the unbelievers. And we do that. Let me ask you this. Do you know anyone who is not a Christian? I would say a good thing to do is invite them to service next week. And let the Lord do his work through the word. Or talk to him or her about Christ. And that's, that's the, really the first step. And when you talk about Christ, talk about how Christ has revealed the Father. Do you want to know what God's like? Christ. Talk to this person about how Christ has reconciled us back to the Father through faith in him. And talk about how Christ is the ruler and how he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Go and reap the harvest. Take the fruit of the harvest. I think, uh, I, I don't know if it was Jude or James says, he who wins souls is wise. So maybe that's Proverbs. Um, next, in, in 6 through 12, we have a bunch of workers in the Lord. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junio, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stichicus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian, those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, the beloved Persis, who's worked hard in the Lord. Notice work, work, work throughout this passage. They are work, Mary worked hard in the Lord, verse 6. The husband and another husband and wife team in verse 7 were fellow prisoners with Paul. Apellos is approved in Christ. One commentator puts it like this. Paul is saying he proved his worth on the mission field. 
And Paul tells Timothy to do your best to be a worker approved by God. In verse 12, again, all women, all women in verse 12, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, they all worked hard in the Lord. Now, Christianity is advanced. Let it heretofore be known. Christianity is advanced not by constantly just grieving past sin or needing somebody to constantly pat you on the back and and come to church to be encouraged and lifted up. That is a good thing. But Christianity is advanced by work. Paul was a worker. The church in Jerusalem were workers. And so I, more and more, the, more, the older I get, I'm seeing the church as a work itself. It's, it's the work of ministry. It's not just a nice community. It is that, but it's also the work of ministry, especially these days where social Christianity is going by the wayside, inherited Christianity is going by the wayside. Many, many churches are doing very odd things. And we need to do the work of ministry. So Christianity is advanced. The kingdom is advanced, number one, by the power and hand of God, but he uses the toil and labor of men and women. And the thing about work is it makes you tired. And and it leads to weariness. But Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing, because you will reap a harvest of righteousness. So working in the Lord is a good thing. It's a good thing to, to strain yourself for the Lord at times. And that, there's an earthiness to work in this passage. I mean, delivering letters across land and sea, using houses, explaining theology to preachers who need that explanation, proclaiming the gospel, going to prison. You know, there's an earthiness to ministry, too. And that all supports the message. And in our um, church covenant, which many of you have agreed to and signed and prayed over, there's a line in there that talks about being faithful to the work among us. I'm glad that's there because I'm seeing this as the work among us. Now, women, the children's church is going to be a work. If you agree to do this and you are led to do it, it's a work of ministry. And, um, and I know life is... Life is busy and hard, and well, but but it's a good thing to do the work of ministry for children and to catechize them and prepare them um, through 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 giving them a structure of, of theology and doctrine. Like I said, we're not going to be just painting pictures of the Garden of Eden and Noah's Ark and, and funny snakes. We're going to be doing the work of ministry. In children's church. So, work is a good thing. And if you're tired in the Lord, praise God that you did the work of ministry. Don't grow weary. Don't 
Don't allow Satan to deceive you into thinking that that was useless or pointless. No, you sowed into the ministry, and praise God for that. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Verse 13, Rufus is next. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Spiritual mothering, that's a good ministry too. A mother nurtures children. She's a nurturer. She's a provider for children. And if there's a spiritual mothering, it means nurturing people in the faith. Being uh, an encourager, a consoler. Taking young women and even men under her wing and being that soft and firm support for people in the faith. There's a, there's a book back there called Missional Motherhood. Um, I think we got one or two more copies left. You're free to take that. Um, but mothering is a verb. Nidia was explaining to me the book, the book that mothering is a verb. And just because you don't have children in the church doesn't mean that you cannot be a mother or that you're not called to be a spiritual mother. That's very important to have spiritual mothers and fathers, people Men and women we can look up to, count on, rely on, that are strong, that paved a way for the future generation. Lastly, Paul says, greet one another after going through more names of workers. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So I would like to start greeting each other with a kiss. According, I'm joking. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> now you're getting yeah, <laughs> um, So a kiss was common back then, right? <laughs> Don't be greeting one another. Imagine if you go to some church and you start to try to kiss them today. They might, <laughs> they might take out a, a flamethrower at you. <laughs> a kiss was common back then. You know, people were very touchy-feely. And, and, uh, but the emphasis here is not on, 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 on kiss. It's on the holiness of the kiss. And, and this, a holy kiss means there's a, not just a familiar, oh, how are you doing? There's a bond. There's a stronger bond because of your being separated under Christ together. There's a shared identity. In Christ, so it's not just a, a oh hello, you know, it's a holy hello, it's a holy handshake. You know, when uh, I, I heard that after nine eleven, George Bush's um, approval rating went up to eighty six percent. That is, I think that might have been the highest approval rating ever. But for those few months after nine eleven. Um, his approval rating went up to 86%. And I will say, he was a great leader during that time. He was strong. Um, I really appreciated him. Um, but went up to 86%. Why is that? Is it because all, everyone after 9-11 automatically agreed with everything? No. It's because there was a bond that was forged after 9-11. We were Americans, right? 
This was our country. And someone just tried to get us. And now we're together. And we're in this together. And that's our leader. And I got problems with him, but he's our man. And he's out there being strong. And so there's, there's this bond, there's, a, there's identity formed um, after that. Um, that's kind of what the holy kiss is. There's, there's a bond. There's an identi- identification between me and you. We share the same Christ. And our king is coming back. And we're going to take over the world because of him. And Lord willing, we will see nations turn to him. And the good news, and God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's a good bond to have. So greet one another with a holy hug, a holy handshake. Let that be the identification that we have among one another. Um... These are the names of people who have been faithful. Um, They're not scholars. They are not pastors. They're not professional trained missionaries. They are men and women in a church in Rome. And their names have been kept for 2,000 years for us to see that this is how the Lord builds his church. Through men and women toiling, through married couples toiling and laboring in the work. Do not see as little in your eyes your work for the Lord. Do not see it as a small thing. That is a, it, it is a good thing to work and to strain for the Lord. There was a song uh, back, in, back in the 80s, but I always liked it. I mean, And the the refrain was, may all who come behind us find us faithful. I I love, I I want that. I want to be a church where all the, the children who come behind us find us faithful. They found Gary faithful. They found Carl faithful. They found Ben faithful. May all who come behind us find us faithful. And although Christ is the way, the truth, and the light, there is a very real sense in which our lives point to him, right? And so the song continues, May the fire of our devotion light their way. And may the footsteps that we leave lead them to believe. I think that's a good thing to have people in the faith that we look up to that set away with Christ as, as the head. So, let this be written for a future generation. And may all who come behind us find us faithful. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only wise God, be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.